the money Two bars on the show The boys stay ready Swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points But then they glad that they joined One for the money Two bars on the show Two Bars Country, let's rock. Welcome back. Uh, Two Bars is back. Uh, Graham Barfield here, joined with my guy, Scott Barrett. Um, Scott, I see you trying to hold back a a smile there. What's going on, man? (laughs) That was great. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, uh, iRobot Russell Wilson before (laughs) the show. Um, By the way, how tilted are you going to be when Tim Patrick outscores Jerry Judy this year? Yeah, I mean, you know what's going to happen. KJ Hamler, too, and, and maybe Corden Sutton. And, you know, I, I don't know what to do about that. That's like, that's the big thing is like, I think there's the potential. It could go one of two ways. I think the most likely thing is like uh, the Seahawks were stuck in the past and holding Russell Wilson back, and now he goes nuclear. That's the most likely thing. The other, the other possibility is that like maybe Pete Carroll isn't as dumb as everyone thinks he is. And, you know, Russell Wilson's a little bit overrated, which is what Greg Cassell has been saying for years. And yes. so uh, maybe maybe Denver isn't what everyone want, hopes they're going to be. But for fantasy, like even if you act on the assumption that this is sort of akin to when De- uh, Pete Manning went to Denver, it's like, who do you who do you target? Because they're talking about getting both tight ends heavily involved, like yeah. tight ends like being the focal point of the offense. And it's like, what? And then they have three stud wide receivers. They paid a ton of money to. And KJ Hamler, who is a guy, me and TJ Calkins own in like every single dynasty league. We really liked him. And uh, it's just, it's just tricky. I, I get a lot of Jerry Judy dynasty questions. And uh, all I can yeah. say is like, I, I think you have no choice, but to hold and hope he was who I thought he was coming out. Yeah, I have Judy in our big like DFB, uh, DFB invitation with like Barry and Matic and stuff, and I'm I'm doing the same thing. I'm just holding. But I, I will say I do love Tim Patrick this year. Like 12th, 13th round. He goes in like the 13th and 14th round in, on NFFC full PPR. Like that's the, the gulf between him, Sutton, and Judy is that that's just crazy overconfidence in my opinion. But um yeah, I don't know. The Broncos are real tricky this year. But I don't think we've talked. I think you and I are both lower on Javante than like the rest of the staff and team. Um, you're taking Barkley and Chubb over him, right? Um, I don't know. I I need to double check my rankings. He's just like so tricky, and I'm getting flashbacks to Jonathan Taylor a season ago, where you know the yeah. coaches are all saying it's a committee. And it was a committee to start the year, but like just just betting the talent. This guy has the like, thing is though. Like, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I agree with you. Like Javante was my guy coming out, but the thing is, like Marlon Max stinks and was coming off a pop to kill. His Melvin Gordon was good last year. At least. Was at least that he, he was. I mean, if you look at like uh, XFP or yards per carry or whatever, like they were they were dead even. In all honesty. Then again, you look at missed tackles force per touch, the most predictive stat we have, and it was like maybe the best ever season of the past decade. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are the types of guys we want to chase with Javante, but I, I do think they're being legit when they say they want to play Melvin. Like maybe it's not 50-50 like it was last year. It was truly like 50-50-52-48. Maybe it's more 60-40, 65-35, but still. I, I think they're being legit when they want to play when they say they want to play Melvin. Um, 
Yeah, didn't didn't think we'd start with some Broncos talk. We were actually going to talk about underdog values and upside plays. Scott, you just had an article that just came out, a bunch of good stuff. I believe it's free on the site right now. Uh, We're going to talk through that, talk through some ADP trends. Um, So let's get started with that, man. Well, I I think one guy that we're probably going to disagree with. Well, hold on. I I did want to speak about my 16,000 word manifesto. Which one? uh, Yeah. how to play uh, underdog optimally. Like I really think that if you just read this article, there's no way you don't profit from their typical 12 team leagues. And then if you want to play their tournaments, I think your expectation at least doubles. If you just read this piece, listen, 16,000 words. I I know I, I get it. Uh, I have a tendency to overwrite stuff. I think that comes from my background where like the best job I ever had minus, you know, working in the fantasy industry. I worked at a hedge fund and I just started as an intern. It was supposed to be like a one week, two week thing as like a favor. Uh, And it turned out to be like the entire summer. They paid me uh, really well. They loved me. They promised me at the end uh, or when I graduated, they would have a job for me, except the guy who owned the hedge fund sold it three months before I graduated. So like sometimes like I think about like what my life would have been because there's so much overlap. I think in like analyzing a stock, what I, what I would do is it's like, all right, Scotty, I want you to analyze Pandora stock or mattress firm stock and do a write up. And the write up would be super in depth. It would be like yeah. 20 pages, all the statistical analysis, the background on the CEO and, and what have you. And then all the way at the end, there was just like a quick two paragraph summary. And then I'd have to get it in front of uh, the hedge fund owners and the analysts and make my pitch. And so like most of the time, like the owners wouldn't read it word for word. They would just read the summary. They would hear my pitch. They would ask questions and I'd go back and relate to things within the article. And so I think I just kind of have, I just kind of like do that with some of these like deeper dives where I really overdo it. But uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, dude, I'm not going to read 16,000 words. I do have the TLDR section all the way at the bottom for um, how to play their their tournaments optimally, how I'm going to be playing their tournaments. And then you also like control F for various strategies. How does modified zero RB fare in comparison to hyper fragile RB, things like that. All the data is there for you. But if you want to just scroll the way to the bottom, I have the TLDR and like some quick hit tips. Um, so that's, that's what, that's, that was a crazy job too. The, the owner of the company would have like the most wild mood swings where if like the market was down 2%. He was, he was literally like punching the wall, oh throwing things across the room. He's <laughs> like he, talking he, about, His face would be melting off right now. Markets have been just shitting all summer, but yeah. he was talking, he would, he would like legitimately talk about killing himself. And then whenever it was up 3%, he was the happiest guy in the world where he was like, Scotty, we're going to go, we're going to go to sushi. One, the cheapest little piece of sushi you could get is 30 bucks. It's all on me. You're going to get beer, even though you're not 21, we're going to go crazy. And like, I just like, I don't know how like anyone could live life that way, but uh, yeah, then he retired and like he travels on his boat and fishes and catches Marlin all day. So uh Oh, so he made the right him. choice. Then. Yeah, no, he definitely yeah, made the right yeah. choice. It sounds like his heart rate is probably a little bit lower too. But, bro, if you so, so if you went through if you did the job at the hedge fund and also played Antonio Brown over Juju Smith Schuster a couple years ago, you would have been retired in the Bahamas or something by now. 
I, I was telling Graham before this show started, I, I don't think God wants me to be rich. Not, <laughs> not yet. Maybe, maybe in my forties, but like, there's just like so many instances where like I, I was saying like a few years back, I had Juju Smith-Schuster's rookie year. I had the perfect lineup. And so I put the most money I've ever put in in a single week. And I love my lineup. The only question was Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown. And I played Juju Smith-Schuster and the lineup won me $2,000. If I played Antonio Brown, the lineup would have won me $480,000. There's just like so many stories like that, that, uh, yeah, I'm convinced that uh, God doesn't want me to be rich just yet. Maybe, maybe in a few years, we'll see. Yeah. My, what I, I want to believe, what I want to believe, and we'll get to this in a second, because my follow-up piece is ideal underdog fantasy draft picks. Uh, and so I want to believe that Antonio Brown cost me, you know, $480,000 four years ago. He <laughs> no cost worries. me $2,000 last year when he stripped naked on the field, uh, so he could win me a shit ton of money, this $2 million in the underdog tournament this year. That's that's what I want to believe. I mean, unless you can find a way to like score fantasy, score Antonio Brown's fantasy points, like that he, like every time he sits down on the sofa during the NFL season, you'll be a very rich man. But <laughs> dude, I, I know what you're saying with AB, but man, like I think, I think it's over. There's no way a team breaks him back, bro. There's no way. I, I dude, I, I mean, I totally get it. But at the same time, like, he was playing with a bum ankle. There were broken yeah. bone fat fragments in his ankle, and he was dusting Jets cornerbacks with some of the filthiest moves you've ever seen. And he's just too damn good. Like, if I were a GM, of course I'm hiring him midseason. Like, no, no, I don't care what it does to the locker room. That's why, he, like, I have a good coach in place to, to manage these personalities. But, like, I, I hire get it. him. Dude, a mercenary. Brady was his boy, though. Brady, like, tried. He tried. He, like, lived with he, – he brought A.B. down to Tampa and, like – he lived, he stayed with him for a bit. Antonio Brown was the most targeted player last year on a per route basis, even higher than Cooper Cup, and he still wasn't happy. Dude, like, he he ranked top five in yards per route run. He like he has more yards per route run since leaving the Steelers than Tyreek Hill or Cooper Cup. Like he's so under he's just too damn good. Like I get that it's like you know the 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 crazy hot scale for for yeah. women. It's like that with like he's <laughs> like. Crazy, but so damn good. Like Matt, put him on the Packers. The Packers have no one. Like, yeah. like give them AB, and like their win expectation jumps like one point five wins in my eyes. But like any team that's a playoff contender, and it's like four games left in the regular season. Like, yeah, yeah, higher, yeah, bring them on board. Yeah, yeah. But I have a lot of that. I have a lot of that in this piece. Like a lot of plays where like people are going to be disgusted by it but it just makes so much damn sense. Like Antonio Brown is free around 20 pick costs you nothing. I'm gambling on Deshaun Watson at an ADP of free all day. You can full on punt quarterback with like two, you know, Zach Wilson types. Yeah. And then like, he would be all you need. Like if he's suspended for the entire year, minus the last four games, he could be all you need to advance through the tournament rounds at a price tag of free. And then you could like, leverage that even further by, you know, drafting Amari Cooper or Nick Chubb or even Will Fuller. And so like I made the case for Deshaun Watson. I made the case for Will Fuller, Julio Jones, uh, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. And so, sure. Yeah. No, like I get it. Like probabilistically there are zeros, but they're still plus EV in my eyes because the upside, I'm not going to go all in, but like the, 
the upside is more valuable than the downside is detrimental. I'm I'm not with you on Watson just because I don't think he plays this year. I hear what you're saying. You take him as a QB three and your 17th, 18th round pick probably busts anyway. But I'm more t- I'm more so taking that with like Gronk. Like I think there's a legit chance he comes back in November. I'm I'm also with you on Julio. Um, I was talking with Edwin a little bit. And it sounded like the Titans kind of bungled the hamstring he had last year. And I get it. Like Julio and hamstring injuries like go hand in hand at this point. But um, yeah, man, I, I still think Julio has some some gas left in the tank. He missed a couple weeks in the middle of last year. Then I think there was like a Thursday night game and he caught a pass over the middle like this crosser. And he still he looked like he was 26 still like on that play. I was like, all right, he's still got the juice. Um but yeah, man, I think I think some team is gonna is gonna take a chance on Julio uh, in training camp for sure. And he's you know he's just continued to slip. It's crazy. I mean, again, he's he's probably done. Or, yeah, he's probably odds are pretty decent. But prior to last season, he averaged eighty five yards per game for eight straight seasons. The first wide receiver in NFL history with eight career seasons let alone eight such seasons in a row. He also ranked top five in yards per route run in each of those eight seasons. Put him in Atlanta, uh, put him in Indianapolis, pair him back up with Matt Ryan. Ooh. And he could still be, you know, an easy fantasy wide receiver too, or like the upside's still there. And like, you're not going to get that upside from anyone else with his price tag, which is ADP wide receiver 84 on underdog. Yeah. And I think, I think that's one thing that you always, you always do a good job in your writing of is like explaining, okay, would you? Re- what's the likelihood that Julio Jones is not dust, comes back, and he's like a borderline league winner, like maybe eight to ten percent? Okay, what's the chance that Donovan Peoples Jones in the seventeenth, eighteenth round is a league winner? Like maybe right, exactly. less than one percent. Like everyone on the Browns would have to die. Like Amari Cooper would have to die. David Bell would have <laughs> to get bust. Like that that's the way you got to be thinking through these tournaments. Like, yeah, sure. And like a normal redraft league, I'm probably not even going to like think about any of these dudes, like Julio Watson, Kronk, all those guys. I'm not going to think about these guys, but in a tournament where you're playing for variance um, and you're building teams, like you build a DFS team. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you. And I think that's one thing you got to really think about when you're building your teams is thinking probabilistically, like, especially in the late rounds and especially with your late round picks in terms of like mixing and exposures and kind of building uniquely, like on every single Lamar Jackson team, like you should be trying to complete a stack at the end with Devin DuVernay or or Tylen Wallace, Uh, like just making sure, like just taking these like end of end of 18th round guys who barely get drafted and making sure you're having like just at least one or two pieces that are are unique. And um, yeah, man, I think, I think you always do a good job of that, but um, let's talk more beyond like tournament stuff. Let's talk some of those values and upside plays. Yeah. So just in this article, I just want to yeah. tell the reader, I outlined it in three sections. The first section is just pure values. And then the next section is upside plays. And then the third section looks at week 17 matchups. I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, we, we can't really predict anything, but uh, for some of these, I think we really can just like, you know, uh, Kyler Murray versus Atlanta, which has been a bottom three defense against fantasy quarterbacks for three straight seasons, David Montgomery against the lions, things like that. So I talk about that. And then also I look at, uh, uh, Vegas lines, um, uh, for extremely game script sensitive players, like, um, Aaron Jones averages 9.5 more fantasy points per game and wins than losses over the last three seasons. 
and uh, they're massive favorites in week 17. So things like that. Yeah. I think for what it's worth, I've kind of poked fun at this on Twitter. I, I, I don't think like some of the week 17 analysis is, is bad. Like not all of it's bad. Like what you just said, like Kyler gets a great matchup. Um, also, I can't remember the guy's name. Who's that back? I was looking at earlier. He gets, I can't remember, but like looking at that kind of lens, like from a macro lens, but like, if you're sitting here trying to game stack a week 17 game, bro, like some of these stacks that we're trying to hit are going to be con- complete duds. Like these just team stacks, they're, they're not going to work out. Like, I think it's like the most arrogant analysis to try and game stack a week 17 game, like you are, you have to be in the top 0.0001%. Basically you have a 0% chance in best ball mania two of, of reaching week 17. You got to score enough points to even get there, to even advance. I don't know, man, like you're trying to stack up these, like whatever Jets Seahawks games. Um, I think it was Brees Hall. I was looking at Brees Hall. He, I think he gets the Jags in week 17 or week 16. He gets the Jags week 17. He gets the Seahawks. Like shit like that. Like we want to, we want to, by, you know, rookie, we want rookies on our team, not for the first eight weeks of the season. We want them for the last eight weeks, and especially during the playoffs when they're peaking, you know, looking at schedules like Brees Hall gets a great playoff schedule. Kyler Murray has a great playoff schedule, like that kind of stuff, that kind of analysis, I think has a lot of signal to it, but man, if you're trying to like game stack in week 17, I just think that's on in June, like that's just, it's arrogant. Like in my opinion, See, I, I just, I disagree. I think it's free upside. And it, it, like in DFS, you know, when we're making lineups, like the easiest way to take down a GPP is to have a team, a lineup that is extremely well correlated and stacked. So like you only need to get fewer things, right? Where you're like, all right, I think the Broncos smash in a pass heavy shootout against the Chiefs. So I'm going to draft Kelsey, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, Russell Wilson. And I think the Patriots steamroll the Jaguars. So I want Deeming Harris plus the defense. So you're just saying, I only think uh, these two things are going to happen. And you already have like 75% of your roster complete. And it's like pretty cheap, especially in the the later rounds. Um, And there's, there's two, again, like this is what you need to be thinking about because the tournament is so top heavy where first place gets 2 million, 11th place gets $10,000. So that's 200 times more to first place than 11th place. So like first place is all you should be shooting for. And week 17 is really what you should be caring about. So like you could do it this way with like strong correlation. I think it is a tiny bit overrated, but I I think it is important and valuable is, is coming up with these stacks, these team stacks, these game stacks. But another way you can do it, I'm reminded of, uh, I think big T, I think that's who it is on Twitter like a DFS pro a proven winner. He took down the Millie maker in week one on FanDuel a couple years back. And he had a team without a single stack. And I know JM reached out to him. I was like, dude, what, what were you thinking here? You didn't have a single stack. He's like, yeah, I, I didn't have a single stack, but I grabbed all of the high upside plays I could think of guys like Deshaun Jackson and, you know, Tyler Lockett who had their 30 plus point fantasy games and so, yeah, again, you want to be stacking. I talk about in this article how much I love Kyler Murray stacks and Daniel Jones stacks, a surprisingly high amount. But another way you could do it is like take these Adam Dunn style home run swings with a Deshaun Watson, a Michael Thomas, a Will Fuller, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, where it's like, okay, let's say you just got two of those guys. You got Gronk, 
and AB or Gronk and Will Fuller or Gronk and Deshaun Watson, and you got them for free. And those guys played at least for the tournament rounds and they came up with their typical production. And that's just like a massive, massive advantage over the field. And these guys are going undrafted in a lot of leagues. So it's, it's a, it's a big leg up on the competition. I I hear you in a sense like, okay, if I've got Burrow and Chase already and that Bills Bengals game that's on Monday night, like maybe I bump up Jamison Crowder or Dawson Knox like a little bit for that game stack. Like, sure, I, I get you on that. But in my opinion, I think it's way more profitable to just really focus in on those team stacks. Like let let the you know, obviously you have your targets in the first four, five, six, seven rounds. But then in those late rounds, you're really just trying to correlate your plays. And instead of focusing on individual games, focus on individual teams. One team I'm loving stacking right now is the Patriots. Mac Jones is super cheap. All of his receivers are super cheap. I think you can build an easy case that Mac Jones has upside for 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns, yet nobody wants to draft him. Especially on uh, NFFC, there's six point per passing touchdown. You get even more upside because obviously Mac doesn't run. I'm way more focused on contrarian team stacks and not necessarily just like thinking of different ways to build team stacks. Like it doesn't have to be a cheap Patriot stack, like including Tony Pollard in your Cowboys team stacks with Dak and Lamb, like as a pass catcher, like obviously you can correlate Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers, like thinking through team stacks and just a little bit of a different way, as opposed to like, I have to, I drafted Chris Olave and there we go. I have to draft Jameis Winston. Like that's, you're not really being unique. If you draft Jameis Winston, Chris Olave, and Jarvis Landry and Alvin Kamara, that's probably going to be a little more unique. So that, that's the way I'm trying to think of it for, for underdog and not necessarily just trying to attack a single game because I, I just, man, so much shit changes, you know, like I get, we think we can predict the future, but this, this stuff is, it's just so, so hard to predict. Yeah. So, um, Again, I do think it's like a little bit overrated, like talking with Liam Murphy, last year's Best Ball Mania winner who won $1 million and going over his winning lineup. He was like, oh, look, like I had all this correlation. I had Rashad Penny game stacked with Christian Kirk and I had whatever. But like so many of those guys flopped and like the bring back didn't do anything. Right. Uh, That's the other thing, dude. Like, Yeah, yeah, you game stacked this game. I I just brought up the example with Burrow and Chase, right? Jameson Crowder could go out and have three catches for 12 yards and he doesn't do a damn thing for you. All right, but here's the here's the counter example. Here's the counter example. Remember, uh, so I was talking about how that that one week cost me, you know, a Juju Smith Schuster four hundred eighty thousand dollars. All right, week eight of twenty fifteen, I wanted to go all in on Giants Saints game stacks, and for whatever reason, I don't know if I didn't enter a single lineup that week, or I didn't, or I pivoted to something else at the last second. But week eight of twenty fifteen, Giants at Saints. That game provided us with the overall QB1, QB2, RB6, RB9, wide receiver 1, wide receiver 5, wide receiver 9, wide receiver 10, wide receiver 17, and tight end 1 of the week. Imagine that game came in week 17 of the 2022 season. Who wins Who wins $2 million? Whoever has the most Saints or Giants. So like that sort of power law upside and potential exists. Uh, so like when I'm going to be making my teams for the most part, yeah, I'm going to think about game stacks, week 17 game stacks and like use that to break ties or, or inner tier ties. Um, 
but I, there's going to be some lineups where I just go like full YOLO and just say, fuck it. Where it's like, okay, give me chiefs versus Broncos or Rams at chargers. And let me go all the fuck in on this. I think, I think that's the point is you just gotta like play around and, and I mean, make multiple lineups, but, but you are dead on right in that team stacks, I think are more important, more significant, more plus EV because the, the argument I just made with saints versus giants, what about the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes sophomore year? Like, who, who won that year? It was basically whoever had the most of Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Kareem Hunt. And that that's my exact thing, man. Is like, okay, some of these game stacks that you're trying to get for week 17, the team itself it might suck. Like, you might not even have a remote chance. You might be drawing dead by week nine. Like, seriously. I get it. And I, look, one thing I've, I think that's helped me become a better basketball player is honestly playing more MLB DFS. I've been playing MLB... Uh, with some success and some really bad losses, uh, you know, for a number of years now. And and one thing I've learned playing MLB in terms of stacking is just like, it just, it, honestly, it's just, like you, you kind of said it earlier, it's, it's fewer things you have to get right. But it's, it's also like when you are right on that one team, you win all the money. Like, I don't really give a shit if I score 50, you know, FanDuel points one night. I, I really don't care about that. I'm trying to score 210 and ha- getting one team right has the upside to, to like 10, 12, 10, like millions of times the upside as opposed to just trying to find the one-off value plays. And like, I think in general, ADP has gotten much sharper in fantasy. And I, I think if you were just to kind of build your rankings off ADP and then just kind of like, slide guys up and down that you're slightly higher or slightly lower on like in redraft you're you're probably going to be just fine with that method but i'm telling you i i really think it's just trying to find ways to build slightly different four and five man team stacks um you know that that that's going to take this thing down Uh, i would actually love to get action down on betting against the the uh the million dollar maker for bbm3 I'd love to bet against that it's not going to be a game stack. I bet it's just going to be the best team stack. I I, I will I, I would love anybody anybody listening to this that wants action. I, I would love to, to get some action. So slide in the DMs. But it's going to be Deshaun Watson stack with Antonio Brown, who later signs. With <laughs> the, uh, I think they're playing the Durs, the Commanders. So you got to get Terry McLaurin on that team. All right. All right. Uh, all right, let's talk through some values and upside plays. Um, yeah, let's talk about one of my values, highly contentious, you hate. I don't hate Zeke. I, I, said, I, this hate in my, I said this in my Tears article. I think Zeke is a fine redraft play. I just think mm-hmm. his 12 and a half fantasy points per game isn't going to get you a – it's not going to win you a million dollars. Like, mm-hmm. bro, what's the likelihood that Zeke is – you know, Zeke was always the guy that was, you know, super consistent starting his career, you know, 18, 19, 20 fantasy points per game. Now that he's even older, he's been dealing with, you know, knee injuries, wear and tear. Tony Pollard is completely outplaying him, uh, running circles around him. What's the likelihood that Zeke is going to give you the upside of 18, 19, 20, 25, 30 fantasy points in week 17? Like, I don't know, man. I just don't think he's got enough gas left. I think he's a fine, like, hey, RB2, super cheap. I'll take my 12 and a half fantasy points per game in redraft. 
What's your case for him for best ball? Yeah. So, so the narrative against him is like, he's declining back to back years with a career low in fantasy points per game, poor efficiency, Tony Pollard, way more efficient on a per touch basis. And I'm, I'm going to get trash for this, but like all of my best ever takes were ones where I was super trash for having them. You know, Christian McCaffrey in his sophomore year, Lamar Jackson in his sophomore year, things like that. And uh, the more people tell me I'm an idiot for this, like the more I feel confident about it. And that's that he's priced at the RB 16. He's never finished lower than RB 12 in total fantasy points. He's never finished lower than RB 15 in fantasy points per game with, he has what four top five seasons over his last seven and people aren't giving him enough credit for like the situation he's had the last two years, because two years ago, Dak Prescott missed 66% of the season last year. He had a partially torn PCL for over 75% of the season. And still he outtouched Tony Pollard 252 to 169. I love Tony Pollard. I think he's great. I think he's great at what he does. But we've seen time and time again with these like smaller backs, uh, coaches just don't want to give them more volume than just being a change of pace option. So I think if he can't if he can't get more than a dozen touches per game, while Zeke has a torn PCL, it's like not going to happen. Plus, they're giving him eighteen point two million dollars, and like Jerry Jones is you know hubris out the ass. So like I, I think I think they're going to ride him. My only a criticism of this one take is I like David Montgomery Moore, who goes round five, yeah. Zeke goes round four. And I keep trying to go Zeke round four, Montgomery round five. And then like Montgomery always goes the pick before me. And I'm like, shit, I should have just taken Montgomery, but still, yeah. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's a great value. I think all the risk is more than priced in. And I think there's a chance he goes back to the Zeke of old. My thing is, is like Pollard's touches have gone up every single year. We, we wanted Zeke in the past because he never left the field. Pollard has earned way more passing down snaps. He's earned them. And for what it's worth, Pollard tore his plantar fascia, fascia in his foot in that Saints game. You know, actually, on that super long run, I think he had like a 65-yard touchdown. He tore his plantar fascia on that run. He was not playing at 100% late in the year last year, too. So, look, Zeke, it's, at this point, it's a sunk cost for the Cowboys, uh, with his contract and everything, he's going to play. Obviously, you know, Dak loves him. He's his best friend, yada, yada, yada. He's going to play. Like, I just question uh, I just question the upside at this point for him. Uh, another guy I question the upside for at this well, point. I, 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 I just had one more comment. Uh, yeah. So through the first six weeks of the season, he averaged 17 carries and 3.3 targets per game. He actually led all running backs in XFP. So the volume was clearly still there. And then like over the last two seasons when Dak Prescott was in the lineup and he had a fully intact PCL, he averages 18.5 half point PPR points through nine games, which would have finished top four in each of the last two seasons. And so remember, this is a half point PPR format. So, um, you know, Tony Pollard getting a little bit more pass catching work, which like the beat writers are hinting at, I don't think is as big of a deal. That's fair. That's fair. And for what it's worth, I, I mean, I could be totally wrong on Zeke and the health and stuff. Like I, Edwin's on your side for what it's worth. Um, he was saying that, I mean, he, he was saying that Zeke should, there's no way Zeke should have played through what he played through last year. And it's an injury that does not have a high reoccurrence rate whatsoever. It's kind of a unique, you can, unique injury. So um, Edwin's on your side. And I, like I said, man, I, I like Zeke a lot for redraft. Like if I can get him in the fourth round and redraft, like 
hell yeah. Like I'll take, I'll take his consistent, you know, usage. But um, I think for me, it's an upside, upside thing. Uh, let's talk through some Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, man. I, I, this is one, I think you're on too. like the price gap should not be that big uh, between Metcalf and Lockett. Um, again, small sample size, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, Lockett did have a, a, t- a higher uh, target share in the games that, that Russell Wilson didn't play last year. Compared to Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett is also, you know, one of the few players in um, in fantasy who, like, is truly like, okay, three weeks in a row he scores eight fantasy points, but then that fifth week, fourth week, whatever, he's got a 30-point 30 30 point hammer on him. I don't think, obviously, with, with Wilson gone, you know, the deep throwing, uh, deep balls and will not be as good as last year. That being said, Drew Locke throws DGAF balls, and I think Tyler Lockett still has three, four spiked week games in him. And DK Metcalf, for what it's worth, if you look through his game logs, He's been a little bit more consistent, but not not much more consistent. He's also kind of been a big spike week guy. But the difference is, you got to spend a fourth, fifth round pick on Metcalf, whereas is Tyler Lockett is a seventh, eighth, even ninth round pick. Scott, I just got Tyler Lockett in the ninth round on full PPR NFFC uh, as my wide receiver five. I mean, that's like I just feel like it's stealing. Um, I, I've not understood the Metcalf Lockett. Uh, ADP gap for years, and I especially don't understand it now that, that Wilson's gone. Yeah, it's it's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Uh, with the past four seasons, he's never finished lower than 14th in total fantasy points scored. He's currently wide receiver 46 by ADP. Jesus. I get there's a QB downgrade, but that is like way more than priced in. Drew Locke, like maybe that's not that bad. The one thing he does well is throw it deep, which is Lockett's wheelhouse. Geno Smith, I mean, he had a 28% target share with Smith last year. Baker Mayfield, like, I think Baker Mayfield's better than both of those guys. Uh, But really what it comes down to uh, for me is, like, he is the ideal better and best ball player. Over the last three seasons, he averages 29.4 fantasy points per game in his three best games each year. Across his other 39 games, 81% of games, he averages nine fantasy points per game. So it's either, like, Jamar Chase plus Stephon Diggs combined, or he's wide receiver 46. And like, arguably no other wide receiver minus Chase and Tyreek Hill has this upside. And that's the only argument you need to make. If he has one of those spike weeks in week 17, it might be impossible to win the tournament without him. Like it was impossible last year without Jamar Chase. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like you said, it's the, the QB downgrade is more than priced in. I mean, Sutton averages 30% fewer fantasy points per game and Locke starts. Judy's around 10%. Patrick was around 8% when, when Locke was in, uh, or excuse me, 18% when Locke was in Denver. So, I mean, all, all three of the receivers in Denver were worse with, with Locke. But, man, you, you, don't, have, you don't have to pay the, the, the iron price like you do with Metcalf. Like, you're, you're still drafting DK Metcalf over Rashad Bateman, uh, Gabe Davis, your boy, Gabe Davis. Um, I mean, you're, you're drafting him over a lot of like really strong, that whole ADP range between a Rob, um, Amon Ross, St. Brown, like all those receivers, even the quarterbacks in that range, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. I, I just feel so much more comfortable, especially with the quarterbacks to, to kind of complete or start some team stacks, uh, I feel much more comfortable with the quarterbacks in that range and a lot of the receivers in that range than, than taking Metcalf. And I remember um, what we said uh, 30 minutes ago. 
there's like a 10% chance Pete Carroll's not a dummy and he's like a secret sharp, like only 10%, but like, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe the Seahawks offense is better than it's given credit for. Noah Fant is another guy I almost wrote up. I think he's a good yeah. guy. I think, I think you're giving 10, 10% is a little too much, man. I think it's, it's closer to like three to three to 4%, but maybe, maybe you're right. Um, yeah. One big, another big spike we got and this, for, it's interesting. Like all these chiefs receivers, um, you know, the ADPs on them have, have, in my opinion, been out of whack all summer. But I think we're a lockstep on MVS uh, as the Chiefs got a target. One thing I can't understand, I want to ask you about this because I don't think you and I have talked Juju. How how have we gotten to the point where Juju is a, is a fifth or sixth round pick? Like, how did we get here? His efficiency, dude, has declined every single – he averaged less than one yard per route run last year. And now he's – he got no money from the Chiefs. MVS got like five or six times more money. Um, I, I just don't understand how we're drafting Juju in the sixth and Sky Moore in like the ninth and, and MVS in the ninth or tenth. Like I, I don't, I don't get how we're how we're here. But yeah, yeah. Part of the reason why I like MVS is because I I hate Juju Smith Schuster, and you know my four hundred eighty thousand dollar bias against him. But <laughs> MVS got fifteen mil in guaranteed money. Juju Smith Schuster got a one-year prove-it deal with just 2.5 million guaranteed. And then Sky Moore, who I've maintained for most of the offseason, is probably just mid. Like, he's probably overrated and, like, draft capital. He was, you know, he's being drafted as the rookie wide receiver three, but he's just the 13th wide receiver drafted in the NFL draft. And both of them are going over MVS, who got all this money. And, like, I think he's the wide receiver one. But, like, even if I'm wrong, like, he perfectly fits that better in best ball archetype where he has those spike weeks. So, like, even if I'm wrong – uh, he's not going to hurt you. you. You want him in best ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing with the thing with Juju is like, he might be the fourth target on this team. I, and I know you've been lower on Sky Moore and that's fine. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I give him a big boost because the Chiefs drafted him. I mean, it's simple as that. And also, I get it. I mean, we're, we're also like, we're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been dust for, for years and MVS, who's never you know, had more than like 90 targets in a season. Um, but yeah. Uh, all right. Last guy, dude, we'll, we'll talk through, you talk through um, some values here. Let's talk one upside play. You still think there's upside with Kyle Pitts at ADP. I, I'm going to let you start with Pitts and we'll, we'll have it out over, over Pitts once again this year. I did not expect us to have it out on Kyle Pitts. This is, this is really surprising to me and disappointing, frankly. Um, okay. So I, I, I said at the top, he looks overvalued. And I said at the top, he has the widest range of outcomes of any player in his ADP range. But as I argued in the best ball draft guide and primer, having a top three power law tight end is such a cheat code in specifically the best ball format. And who do we want to bet on in fantasy? We want to bet on generational prospects, players with like massive outlierish power law potential And I've only ever talked up three prospects as being on par with Kyle Pitts. That was Jamar Chase, Jonathan Taylor, and Christian McCaffrey. Chase hit smash big last year. Jonathan Taylor smashed big last year. Christian McCaffrey has only ever smashed when healthy. And I think Kyle Pitts is next. And, like, if you dig into his numbers, his rookie season looks way more impressive than he gets credit for because he spent uh, uh, more time out wide than any other – tight end and fantasy by a landslide. And he was awesome at it. He led all receivers 
in yards per route run when lined up out wide. That was despite having in the first half a, a cornerback schedule that was just as difficult as Debo Samuels and Marquise Browns. But now they've added Drake London to, you know, ideally take some pressure off. He was also flukily unlucky in the touchdown department. He fell 4.5 touchdowns short of his volume-based expectation. That always regresses to the mean. If you spot him those missing 1.6 fantasy points per game, he jumps from tight end 13 to tight end 5. And then on top of that, he ranked third in receiving yards among all tight ends last year. He became one of just two tight ends to ever crack 900 receiving yards as a rookie. And tight ends typically make a massive, massive leap in specifically their sophomore seasons. So I'm not going to go all in on Pitts, but I I like it. And when I am drafting Pitts, I'm not sweating my tight end too at all. I'm going to save that for, you know, like a Daniel Bellinger type in the last round. I'm just like really betting on him super smashing. And like, because that's his range of outcomes. He either super smashes or he was a bad pick. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is like, there's, there's really no in between with him. I, I guess my thing is like, for Pitts, Mariota to, sucks, huh? Yeah, Mariota, Mariota sucks. Mariota. Arthur Smith might be a donkey. He, well, here, here's the other thing, man. Everybody's acting like Kyle Pitts has no target competition. They just drafted Drake London eighth overall. Drake London is he's he's going to sleepwalk to ninety to 100, 110 targets. Cordero Patterson ain't going away in this offense, man. Like he's gonna he's gonna eat. He's gonna get his you know 80, 90 targets. Like you want to know something crazy? I don't think Arthur Smith has ever had uh, a receiver with with 90 targets. Here's Unless it was Delaney Walker when he was a tight ends coach. No, yeah, yeah. Delaney had a number of uh, 100 targets. But I mean, as an o- offensive play caller. I mean, that could just be Derrick Henry and then the Falcons sucking last year. But Yeah. Um, I, the, the Delaney Walker comp makes no sense to me because, like you mentioned, Kyle Pitts is not a tight end. He's a receiver. You know, Delaney Walker was one of the best inline tight ends of his time. He was a total freak, too, for what it's worth. But, like... Four pits to smash, he's got to score at least 16 and a half, 17 fantasy points per game. That's that's top two upside at the position. In general, with tight ends every year, there's two guys. There's two guys, and then there's like three or four guys who are okay, and then there's just a bunch of like replacement level guys where you're just chasing tight uh, touchdowns. I mean, are we really expecting Kyle Pitts to join that top two tier with Marcus Mariota? And Desmond Ritter. I like I like making bets on. Um, n- it's a matter of when, not if, you know. And then just wait. So like worst case dude. scenario, I'm too early. But with Pitts, absolutely. It's a of when. when the Falcons draft um, Bryce Hall next year, absolutely, yeah. But, man. Um, I mean, like if he's if it's week eight and he's top three among wide receivers and fantasy points per game, what are you going to say? You're going to be like, well, yeah, if he's a freak of nature. Yeah. We knew that. By the way, so just I- that's in his range of outcomes. And like my whole thing with like every article I've written, upside wins championships, anatomy of a league winner is just like you have to play on those probabilities. What's the most likely thing to happen? That doesn't always matter. What's the median projection? That doesn't always matter. What's the bull case projection? That's more significant to me all right i gotta i gotta ask you here like in general quarterbacks like we're we've got i I, I said this earlier but we've gotten really good adp's gotten really good like there's gonna be moments like dk metcalf and tyler lockett where you can exploit adp but in general like fantasy adp especially an underdog has gotten has gotten really really sharp 
in general, quarterbacks are much more predictable every single year. Like if you look at the last two years and you just sort by fantasy finish and then their ADP, like 70% of those 20 guys who finished top 10 were going top 10 by ADP. Tight end is like almost the opposite. Like, yeah, Kelsey's super consistent every single year. Mark Andrews is going to be fine. Kittle will always be like top six, top eight points per game. But in general, then it's like a total mess. You'll have Hunter Henry scoring double-digit touchdowns. You'll have random guys popping up, you know, in the back end. Like Dalton Schultz was one guy last year who popped. In general, tight end is extremely difficult to predict. And we feel very comfortable that Kyle Pitts is not only going to be a top two or top three fantasy tight end, but he's going, he is so much better of a bet than Josh Allen. You got to draft him over Josh Allen. You got to draft him over Patrick Mahomes. You got to draft him over all the quarterbacks we love and want their upside and access to their upside too. There's a massive opportunity cost in drafting Kyle Pitts. Not only just his normal bust, like the Falcons might stink, Mariota might stink, yada, yada, yada. There's a massive opportunity cost here with Pitts that I don't think a lot of people are really thinking through just in terms of predictability. And you're drafting them over over quarterbacks that we know are going to – Josh Allen is going to smash, like going to happen. He has 40 touchdown upside, you know, rushing plus passing. Like, it's just – I I just don't – I don't see the upside that everybody keeps selling. Like, I know Pitts is an amazing player, man. He's going to be fucking great. Like, he's – it's like he's going to be great. But maybe it's not until the Falcons get Bryce Young. Like so, so again, this is unique to the underdog tournament yeah. uh, format and FFPC tournament format in like a typical 12 team ESPN league. No, I'm, he's he's overvalued. I'm not drafting him. But in those formats, I think he's a, a great pick. And, and again, you have to consider with this how things change in best ball and especially uh, tournament style best ball leagues. Quarterback is is a little overvalued. Josh Allen is a little. Kyler Murray's my guy where I, I think I still have that. 30 plus fantasy point upside in the tournament rounds, but like tight end is so much more important and valuable. Like you said, there is that uncertainty and that risk, but the the upside is, is more valuable than the risk is detrimental Uh, with tight end in particular. You have two routes. You can go the best way you you can go is draft either the number one highest scoring tight end or the number two highest scoring tight end. And then, you're, you're sitting pretty. Mark Andrews was the most valuable player yeah, he was in underdogs format last year. And so like, who is that? I don't know. What, what I'm doing is I'm having heavy exposure to Travis Kelsey. I think Mark Andrews regresses. I'm not really on uh, um, uh, uh, George Kittle, um, TJ Hawkinson. I'll probably be even the field. Cal Pitts, I'll be pretty above average just in this format. And then if I miss out on those guys, what am I doing? Darren Waller, even in the field. If I miss out on those guys, what am I doing? The next best route you can go is to full-on punt with some late-round tight ends. Like last year, the only thing that came close to being as valuable as Mark Andrews, actually what was more valuable is Mark Andrews plus Travis Kelsey, which is crazy. But the only thing otherwise was getting like a Gronk plus a Dawson Knox or a, you know, whoever the the late-round tight end heroes were last year. And like having those two in the last few rounds, yeah, Don Schultz, thank you, uh, was was great and like super viable. So uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm either reaching uh, at the front or waiting all the way to the end. All right. So I got a question for you. My tiers article, I have like a big tier six after um, 
Goddard, Firemuth, Knox, and Ertz go off the board. Those are like your eighth to 10th round tight ends. I have this big sixth here, and this is like the late round bucket that you're choosing from. Irv Smith, Robert Tunyon, Tyler Higby, Albert O, Cole Komet, Mike Gesicki, Hunter Henry, David Njoku, and I, I threw Cam in there, but I, I don't even know if Cam really deserves to be in that discussion. Of that grouping, who who stands out most to you as a Dalton Schultz-esque upside play this year? Um, I mean, I like Hunter Henry in this format just because it's half-point PPR, so you can get by on just like him scoring yeah. touchdowns. They're, they're neighbors, Mac Jones and Hunter Henry, and like there was a stretch Ooh, that a touchdown in like a trade game. So I called it the, the, yeah, the neighbor narrative. And this is going to sound gross. You know who I actually like? This is going to sound super gross. Tyler Higby. No, it's not. No, I, th- I think it's really, especially in ramp stacks. Like it's, yeah. it's, I mean, he, he had the role that, that we want for tight ends. He was a bell cow tight end. He, uh, he led all tight ends and route percentage. It was a top three passing offense. I get he sucked, but I mean, there was at least that one stretch a few years ago where he was like the best tight end ever. He was but, God, basically. Yeah, it was end of, what was, was it, end of 20, 2019, right? Yeah, and then he got hyped up in 2020. Yeah. They have a new offensive coordinator, who knows? Yeah. No, he. I, li- I like Higby too. I think he's got double, and I mean, he's definitely got double and triple dong touchdown potential. The one guy that stands out to me is Irv Smith um, of that group. Viking, the Vikings need him, man. Like, Tyler Conklin's gone. Conklin got 87 targets last year. Um, twelve. That was 12th most among tight ends, by the way. They have nothing behind him. It's a lot of confidence in Irv Smith coming off a, a pretty brutal knee injury. Um, I think he's like the one, the one guy that stands out. Like we know we're chasing touchdowns with Tunyon. We're chasing touchdowns with Henry. We're chasing touchdowns with Komet even, even though he didn't score any last year. Um, in general, I, I, I'm looking for guys that have like 25% target share upside, upside kind of like, you know, similar to Dalton Schultz. And I think Smith is like the only guy in that bucket who fits that bill. Cause I'm with you. I'm, 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 I have the same exact tight end strategy as you. I either want Kelsey. I dabble on Kittle. I've taken pits in the fourth. If he falls to the fourth, I'll take Waller if he falls, but in general, it's like Kelsey or I'm just like, trying to build some two and three tight end builds in the late rounds. Um, all right. I want to talk through a couple ADP trend guys, especially Travis Etienne. I, I, I don't think you and I've talked to Etienne at all, even through message. Uh, Etienne was a fifth round pick in May and I loaded the fuck up on that. Like yeah, he was going way too late, even in the sixth round in May. He's been gassed all the way up to the third, fourth round. Obviously the drum beat's been really strong throughout OTAs. We've seen all the, the videos of the cuts that he's making, you know, all the Jags beats are salivating that the speed's back, the agility's back, yada, yada, yada. I think we're, I think we're heading towards ETN being like a late second, early third round pick by August. Um, where are you at on ETN? And I mean, I think the, the positive drum beat's been enough for the ADP to rise, but like, um, you know, where, where are you at on ETN? And we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, the truth is, I just, I really don't know. Um, I was talking to Edwin at the tail end of last season, and he was really worried about Etienne still. And I I traded him in a win now dynasty league for Josh Jacobs, which, you know, looks like a horrible trade now. Uh, And we didn't win the championship, so that sucked. But 
uh, yeah, I talked to Edwin a couple of days ago. I'm like, how are you feeling about Travis Etienne? He's like, oh, I feel pretty good. Like only moderate risk. And uh, I've just like the, this year in particular, I've really tried to just admit what I don't know. And then like steer clear of unknowns and like only make bets on things I'm confident in players. I think will smash players. I definitely want to fade um, like Cam Akers and James Conner. And, uh, and for the unknowns, I, I don't know, like, especially in an underdog tournament, it's easy. I'll just be about even to the field on Etienne in a 12 in, you know, my own home league, uh, probably wouldn't draft him because he's an unknown and there's knowns I like who I think have more value. But the truth is I, I just have no good read on this situation. A lot of it comes down to injury stuff, which is over my head. For Yeah, for what it's worth, I think you have the right a- attitude, man. I, I think in a, in a lot of – I mean, you and I listen to a lot of fantasy stuff. We've been around for enough to know. Way more analysts need to be saying, I don't know, way more. And I, that's been a huge thing for me. And especially we, we spent 10, 20 minutes on the, uh, the start of the show talking through stacks. That's that's the main reason to stack. Okay, you really don't know. You have no idea. So why not make your life easier in terms of team build? And if you draft Cooper Cup at three overall, get Stafford, get Van Jefferson, get Tyler Higby, make your life easier and just go all in on one team for that particular draft. And then let the board come to you in another way. Um I will say I'm I'm all in on ETN. He's one guy that I I want on all my teams and I can't get him. Like I'm I'm finding it really really hard to get him. My, my thing with him, man, is like, okay, Robinson's coming off the pop Achilles. If we think ETN's role with Robinson is going to be like Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler with Melvin Gordonish, then on the Jags that's probably like, you know, solid RB two. But like, what if James Robinson doesn't come back all all year? Like that's a very real, what if James Robinson doesn't come back till December and ETN's like the only guy he gets the goal line stuff like Eckler d- does now and easy pathway to like 60, 70 catches. Like, I don't know, man, F- especially in full PPR. I know underdog's not, you know, full PPR, but I- I'm, I'm loving some, some ETN. Yeah. And I think that does make I think I'm surprised you're not on him because I think the upside case is pretty like it's self-explanatory almost. Like, yeah, I, I haven't, have I haven't, that, you know, I haven't uh, written my bell cow article yet. I, I may end up falling in love with him just because, you know, like as a prospect coming out, I was like, no, this guy's a guaranteed full on bell cow, uh, really impressive pass catcher. He's going to smash for fantasy. I, I drafted him in a ton of leagues last year, yeah. redraft leagues. Um, and like you said, there's no one there besides Robinson. And, and so that kind of dissuades us, I think of some concern because, uh, Doug Peterson has a history of running back by committee backfields. And, and plus he, this isn't the same regime that drafted uh, Etienne supposedly to be a wide receiver or whatever. I don't, I don't know what Urban Meyer was thinking, but um, he definitely had a clearly defined role for him. That was bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, regardless though, that's the th- who, I mean, in this situation with like the Jags, they really truly don't have another option. Like they need playmakers in the past game st- still. Like I like Christian Kirk quite a bit actually as a, as like eighth, ninth round pick as a wide receiver four or five. That being said, I mean, they still have no juice. And I think ETN is, is that guy in the past game. Uh, what about right, what's, that? what's that? What about LaVisca Chanel? <laughs> Bro, he's not going to make the team. I don't They're think pass catching RB. No, 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 no. He's not making this team. 
I remember when people thought Debo or uh, LaVisca Chenault was better than Debo Samuel. I remember when LaVisca Chenault went ahead of Debo Samuel in fantasy last year, Scott. I remember when I had 40% Debo exposure and 0% LaVisca exposure last year. It was a good time. Um, all right, one last guy, J.K. Dobbins. This is actually – I know you're in on Dobbins. Uh, right. he, you're not in on Dobbins? At least in Dynasty, I know you are. You were just trying to trade for Dobbins in one of our leagues, Ryan. Yeah, so I, I like him in Dynasty, but okay. here's my thing with running backs coming off the ACL. So right now they're saying, like, the expectation is he's going to start the year on the PUP, which obviously, you know, that's that's not great for best ball, but you can get around it by drafting, like, I don't for, know, Mark Ingram, who may be suspended to start the year. Yeah. For what it's worth, not to cut you off, but I'm cutting you off. The PUP, not, nobody's talked about this. The PUP is not six weeks anymore. It's four weeks. So anybody yeah. that goes on PUP, it's four weeks now. So just keep that in the back of your mind. But sorry, continue. So so I had this phone call with uh, Dr. David Chow, and I, I reference it all the time. But I was asking him his thoughts on like various guys I was stuck on. And it was Dalvin Cook's sophomore year. And I'm like, listen, like I love Dalvin Cook. I think he's a baller. I think he's in a, it's just a matter of time before he starts smashing. Um, should I draft him? He's like, no, don't ever draft a running back his first year back from an ACL because you deal with multiple things. One, he's he's not up to par. He's he's not going to be his typically awesome self, and there's going to be a decline in efficiency. But beyond that, there's a high risk of compensatory injury where it's not necessarily another ACL, but it's like uh, an ACL, uh, an ankle injury to the opposite leg because you're favoring that. And we saw with Saquon Barkley, we're like, okay, his his uh, left his left leg looked like my torso, and his right leg looked like my forearm. And it's like, yeah, of course, he was going to deal with injuries throughout the year. And so I've just learned to stay away from guys their first year back from ACL. The question is, like, you got Gus Edwards coming back from ACL. Uh, maybe he starts on the PUP. Is Tyler Batty going to be a thing? I, I like Tyler Batty a little bit coming out. Um, but yeah, so I, in redraft, I'm probably steering clear. But otherwise, like everything lines up because like Baltimore, there's no way they're as pass heavy as they were last year. Uh, uh, you have a hyper mobile quarterback, which means fewer targets, but it means like way better rushing efficiency. And that's all we've ever seen from Baltimore running backs. Uh, plenty of, you know, this should be a good team with good game scripts, a good scoring p- potential, sustained drives. And I, I believe in the talent, but... Um, you know, he's still probably someone I'm avoiding for the most part. Yeah, that's the thing, though, man, is like you're you're not having to pay the iron price like we did with Saquon last year. You know, he's gone – Dobbins was a fourth-round pick in May. He's gone down to fifth, even in the sixth round now. And, and you know, the, the dip is warranted. I think fourth round for Dobbins was, was too much. Um, but, yeah, now I think we're getting to a point where the dip uh, – I'm trying to buy the dip a little bit. I mean, I have a team, man, I just drafted – uh, JT at 101, I got Fournette at the 212, and then third round reversal. I came back. Dobbins was there on the board um, in round five. I mean, you can get a JT Fournette Dobbins team now, and, like, that's all upside with Dobbins at that point. Like, I don't even care if he, he's on the PUP list. I don't even care if he, like, misses the first eight weeks. Like, with that, that type of team build where you can insulate Dobbins' downside risk of any missed games or maybe start slow, et cetera, uh, when you're drafting him as your RB3, it's a totally different equation than when you're drafting him as your as your RB1 as a part of a zero RB team or RB2 as a part of like just a you know 
value normal normal play. Um, good stuff, man. It's right on an hour. Uh, we're continuing to crank out a ton of content at fantasypoints.com. We've got literally the the like best ball suite is like the way I'm thinking of it between Scott's underdog primer. Hanson's had a bunch of good uh, articles. He's put up a draft plan that he's updated. I've got my best ball tiers up as a staff. We're just crushing it with our ranks. We all have like 250 players ranks. So if you're playing deeper best ball, we've got you covered there too. Uh, franchise focus has started. We're six, seven teams deep now at this point. So we're uh, slowly rolling those out. Tom's been grinding away in the betting preview. So we're really uh, grinding away in the content here on the site. If you haven't subscribed yet, you should. You should, uh, you should support your boys. Support your two bars, guys. Uh, use Como, uh, promo code. I almost said Como Prode. Promo code. Barfield22. Save yourself 10% on any package we have. That, in, that would include the premium package or just a standard subscription, which you would get our access to our projections. But you want to go for the premium so you can you know, smash best ball, smash, smash DFS when it's time. Uh, good stuff, man. It's a lot of fun. Um We'll be back probably next week, maybe the week after, uh, with another show. And uh, Scott, I was actually thinking about this today. You and I need to do like a two bars underdog draft where we just like, I know you and I are both not drinking right now, but we got to have one night where we we get a six pack, sit down and draft the team and just trash each other. Uh, I think we got to do that. That sounds awesome. We need this in the works. It's time. Um, All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Catch you next time. Welcome to Fantasy Points Radio. We bring to you Barfield and Perry. All of these, all of these parents say hella embarrassed. Like, why did they error with all of these errors? And Buffett and Barry, you cannot compare with the kings of this era. There should be a tariff on all of this knowledge. I follow regardless. It's straight to the point like a crow. Popping and coming is losing my oxygen takes that they got made me go. Whoa, so what's a swamp rat gotta do? I'm chasing all of this cheese, even if my competition grew. Deuces to the mean, your boy is never regressing. Off season through the season, three six five, two four seven, and it's one for the money. Two bars on the show. Stay ready, swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points But then they glad that they joined One for the money, two bars on the show The boys stay ready, swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points But then they